Hi, everyone. This episode is the sixth in a series of eight podcasts we're doing on the IB approaches to learning skills, known as the ATLs, which are at the core of all four international baccalaureate programs. This episode will focus on social skills. My guest is John Harvey, an experienced IB coordinator who has led this work in multiple schools. It's our goal to give you a coherent, sustainable, values-aligned strategy to implement ATL skills in your school. We're also offering an opportunity for interaction. In our podcast notes, you will find a link to a Google form where you can ask questions. We will take a few minutes at the end of each episode to answer questions you have about the ATLs in your context. Of course, as a podcast, we cannot answer live, but John will continue to respond after these episodes are produced, so please feel free to pose your questions anytime. Welcome to IB Matters, a podcast for those who currently teach, lead, attend, or are interested in international baccalaureate IB schools. Hi, folks, and welcome back to episode number six of the uh, ATL series we're doing with John Harvey. And today's uh, episode is going to focus on the social skills category. We want to welcome back uh, John Harvey to our podcast, and um, we want to thank John for his dedication. Today was his first day with students in his school. And if you want to check out some of his socials, you'll be able to see him hard at work and uh, interacting with uh, other team members and some students. So congratulations, John, and getting the first day under your belt. A lot of our listeners are probably anticipating that in the next week or two. So uh, congratulations and welcome back to uh, another episode of our ATL series podcast, John. Thank you, John. Thanks for your, your kind words. Yep, it's a wonderful day today. Really great to meet uh, my new colleagues and I'll meet my wonderful DP students, and I'm really excited for what we can do this year with our students, as I'm sure our educators are. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things uh, that we always like to do is give you a little heads up on what you're going to uh, hear about today. Uh, I've already mentioned that we're uh, working with the social skills uh, skill category, uh, but a couple things that, you know, this focuses on the skill cluster of collaboration and several things that we'd like you to, to learn from today. One is we're finally gonna mention COVID. It has definitely uh, uh, had a big impact on students' development of social skills, or has it, uh, depending on your your context and your own place. And John's going to talk a little bit about that. Also, we're going to look for opportunities to build social skills uh, in different aspects of education and your school life. And then uh, we're uh, you, the listeners, and myself together are going to learn about something called the Belbin team rule team roles excuse me the Belbin team roles uh, b-e-l-b-i-n and i've not heard of them before so john's going to fill us in and um john why don't we start by talking about the COVID 19 impact uh, and how you feel that that has uh, affected development of social skills yeah thanks john i think you know as educators we would have heard and read about the phrase lost learning the ib website even as a document um, exploring and researching what it means about lost learning. Um, from the articles that I've read from McKinsey and Company, another one from Brookings, focuses for the majority on the loss of learning in English and mathematics, thereby, you know, the content. But as educators in the IB system, we know that a loss of learning will also include skills. Mm-hmm. And so I took a look at the OECD's Economic Impacts of Learning Loss Report, and it does state that there are other potentially important economic losses due to the losses in social emotional development of children. 
Although neither the magnitude nor the economic impact of these are currently known, in the same uh, way that we can look at the loss of learning in, say, English or maths or specifically content-based um, subjects. So, you know, working from this point as educators, while, you know, we may not be able to calculate the economic impact ourselves, but when you take a look at the skill indicators that address the social skills, essentially we're looking at how students develop interpersonal relationships and their social and emotional intelligence. And I think it's safe to say that since 2019, due to the online schooling, this development has been stunted. And you know, I think thankfully due to technology like Zoom, we've been able to have online classes fairly consistently in, in most parts of the world. So I would say that the fact of that means that I think the, you know, the, the negative impact or the loss of learning in the social skills has been mitigated in that sense. But I think, you know, in the continuum sense, in the EYE, we may be having students in the classroom who have not had the chance or the opportunity to develop the social skills where ordinarily they would have, possibly even before coming to school, in situations like, you know, going to parks, birthday parties, play dates, simple things like visiting their own relatives. Right. Um, you know, these are all opportunities um, for developing these important social skills. So while the loss of learning in terms of content knowledge is important to address, I think in continuum schools, there's that opportunity to look at the DP and review the curriculum, you know, and backward map uh, to take out repetition of content so that the emphasis, I'd say that particularly in the EYE, perhaps the PYP and the lower MYP can have time for focusing on the social skills because we know there is a loss, but we do not know what the magnitude of that loss is. Whereas we're looking at content that can easily be restructured but less so with uh, social skills in that sense. Right. That's a good point. I, I never thought of the fact that those those young people, especially in the early years, are coming into school. And and depending, and again, there's always been a continuum or a, a range of abilities and skill set amongst those students. You know, if it's an only child and they've never really interacted with other children other than in small, very small groups um, versus a student from a big family, um, those skill sets are, are probably, you know, in, in need of, of uh, shoring up and as they get to school. And, and I, this, I love the fact that you gave a, a, a tool for teachers to kind of look at, okay, you know what? The content can be made less redundant so that you can build time in for building these skills. So that's a, a nice approach to it. And thanks for for, for sharing that with us. Um, so when you look at at the, within the social skills and the uh, cluster of, of collaboration, where are the places that teachers look for building these collaboration skills, like listening, sharing responsibility, uh, building agreements, um, and just working collaboratively uh, with each other, where do you find those um, those opportunities in the classroom? Great question, John. I think there's many opportunities that can be developed in a classroom. And again, it's about not just seeing the ATL skills as a sort of IB silo just within the four walls of a classroom type thing, but understanding where the social skills fit within the current social norms that we are existing in. Um, so I'd say that the this skill connects very, very well with the I and the profile attributes of being principled, being caring, being balanced, and yes, a communicator. And I think when we start talking about skills combined with values or character development, then I think we're probably getting a little bit closer to sort of global competencies, um, which I think will take what the IB does to the next level of significance in terms of the ATL skills. 
But I think for now, being able to utilize the social skills along with learn the profile attributes will suffice. And it's a really um, easy way, I'd say, um, to get particularly the younger students engaged with these social skills. And the learn the profile attributes can act as a good springboard of a conversation um, between students across the continuum as well, because they're likely to see the relevance in those values and how we use those values when we're collaborating and building on those social skills. The, the other point that I would sort of look at um, is in the EYE, I think, you know, certain TV shows can be promoted. Um, if we look at you know, children's TV shows, I think there's a general theme of how we can listen to the ideas of others, be respectful, help others to succeed. These are all the skill indicators for social skills. And for me, in my day, I remember it was Thomas's Tank Engine. And like Thomas, I just really wanted to be a useful boy. Um, but today, you know, the shows like The Octonauts and, and Paw Patrol, whereby you can really see those social skills are evident, including more of how conflict can be resolved within groups, which when we're looking at social skills, particularly in a, a school setting, you will have those conflicts within those groups at the you know the primary level and also secondary and uh, DP level as well. So at an early age, if students are exposed to different ways of how they can solve these and resolve these conflicts, then that's good for the overall development of their social skills. And again, it comes through you know those TV shows in that sense of being having those discussions. Um, seeing how you could possibly include those TV shows or similar shows um, in, in you know, lesson plans and, and learning experiences. What I'd say is that the younger the students, the, the students are than those TV shows due to the target age, you know, it can be quite sort of almost a little bit too simplistic, very black and white. There's very little scope for the gray areas in society that we know causes the tensions when working collaboratively. So, you know, when students get older, then certain literature can be used whereby the novel demonstrates the social skills we want um, our students to be aware of, to engage in, discuss or practice. And even literature like you know, Lord of the Flies can be an example of what happens in a society when you don't have effective social skills in that sense. Right. So, you know, moving on from the, the EYE and the PYP students, if you look at the secondary students, to continue the theme of real world opportunities, Marvel's Avengers movies can be used as a brilliant example of Tuckman's group development model. So according to Tuckman, and I believe I've shared the link here as well, there are five stages to forming a group. Um, you've got forming, storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. And according to Tuckman, every group goes through that cycle. And across the Avengers movies, you know, we can see Director Fury, he forms the team. So that's part of the forming process. And as you go through the movies, you can see evidence of storming, norming, performing. And by the time they're all sat eating shawarma, then that's the adjourning section of Tuckman's group development model. So I think schools can explicitly teach this model. So students at the secondary level and at DP and CP level have an awareness of the journey that they will undertake as part of the process of working in a group so that when they're at the sort of storming phase, which is usually where most of the conflict can tend to be, they understand that, you know what, this is just part of the process. We've got to get through this. These are the skills that we can use to get us through it. And we know that eventually we're going to come out of the storming phase and into the norming and the performing phase, which is where we need to be. Um, so the link 
to the article that I've referred to is also included here for listeners to check out later. Right. The other part, I'd say when we're looking at social skills and for the development of them across uh, the IB, I think it's really, really, really important to involve your school counsellor if you have one, because particularly when it comes to developing the social and emotional intelligence, um, the school counsellors will be very familiar with social and emotional learning. They will probably have a repertoire of learning experiences. And again, when you know, I said in my first podcast about who should be in that ATL team, then you really need your school counsellors there because when you're looking particularly at the social skills and even the states of mind, they're going to be such a handy resource of expertise to help support whole school development of the social skills. Yeah, one of the things, you know, going back just for a moment to, you know, the, the examples that you gave of using media, possibly TV or movies uh, with students and helping, you know, understand the development of these social skills of collaboration, especially one of the things that also you mentioned movies and, you know, some listeners may go, well, I don't have access to the movie. They don't allow me to, to, you know, pull these screenshots or whatever up into it. But there are other ways Marvel, for example, would be available as a, as a comic book or as a uh, or as a graphic novel. Um, so you have other ways to do this and you can kind of, you know, flip the pages so that you're not waiting for the movie to play out. You know, one of my pet peeves is one of my colleagues would play a two and a half hour movie to make one single point. And uh, and so that that's not what we're advocating here, folks. But obviously, there's lots of different media available to you and different ways that you can use it. And we hope that you uh, take us up on a number of those things. But uh, and then the second point that you made there, John, about counselors. Um, the people that have been watching or listening, excuse me, to our first podcast on setting up your team for the ATL skills, that's a great point. I think a lot of uh, coordinators and ATL or or uh, program coordinators might forget about the counselors until, you know, they have a student that has a challenge. And I think helping the counselors in on the front end is such good advice. And I appreciate that that's uh, been, people have been reminded about that. This is a question I asked you. Uh, how is this skill category different from just learning to follow the rules and behave appropriately? Uh, though, you know, you just had your first day of students today, and I remember that that was one of the things that a lot of my colleagues they would you know they spend the whole first day reading the rules and uh, explaining to students the consequences of not adhering to them. Um, this is not the way IB works, and so uh, tell me a little bit about this uh, category and and the good and the bad of 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 this. Uh, idea that we are helping students comply with a, a set of a framework of rules well johnny you you've given me a really difficult question it gave me plenty of food for thought when i when i was thinking of how to respond to this um but i'll just take you up on you know when when teachers spend the first day you know going through sort of rules and procedures um of the class um i think whether you're an ib school or not you know that's you know, about classroom management. And I think that if you don't have classroom management, you know, nailed down and you don't reinforce it in the very beginning of um, your academic year, then, you know, as IB teachers, we, you know, we spend a lot of time and effort planning, you know, really, really creative lessons and engaging real life situation experiences for the students. And if classroom management isn't um, nailed down, so to speak, then that's going to be a problem moving on and, you know, talking about learning loss, um, if you've got disruptive students in your classroom, then that's going to impact the ability of other students to uh, be able to learn. So one book that I always recommend to, um, I think it's still in print, that I recommend to any new teacher that I come across is uh, Harry Wong's 
first days of school. Yeah. It's amazing. And it just really sort of goes through the significance and the importance of um, establishing those rules and those procedures. And it's not just as, you know, me as the teacher sort of dictating, this is how I want my class to be, but it's about having that discussion with the students and creating those essential agreements um, so that students in the classroom have buy-in with those rules and procedures that you want so that, you know, the learning is effective and, and conducive for all, for all students. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to show, <clears throat> demonstrate how old I am, um, Harry Wong came to our school district and talked to us back in the early 80s, and he was just like the the main guru of that uh, that area back then. So it's funny that you should mention it, it took, takes me back on a little memory lane. No way, I, I, I have his book on my bookshelf, still have it. Yeah, no, I, I got a lot out of uh, listening to him. In our notes here, you've mentioned the fact that, you know, in relationship to this idea of of understanding how to behave appropriately uh, within the classroom, you also talked about how that is really a skill set uh, that needs to carry on through adulthood. And and we are always being, the news seems to focus on adults not, you know, adults behaving badly. Maybe talk a little bit about the origins of the IB and how it actually is based on this concept of uh, great collaboration among students, which hopefully will lead to better collaboration among them as adults. Yeah, I mean, I looked at the question and I thought, you know, is it necessarily a bad thing to see the skill category as learning rules to behave appropriately? So I took myself back to my philosophy and ethics class, and I'm very familiar with Hobbes, um, who wrote that, you know, without a social structure, the natural condition of mankind is one of war and misery with an indifference to the suffering of others. Um, you know, and that's pointing to, you know, a lack of empathy and understanding for the needs of others as well. And that's, again, one of the skill indicators within the, uh, the social skills. I also discovered two philosophers um, from, from China, uh, Sun Tzu and Meng Zhe. And these were both contemporaries of, of Confucius. Um, and so what Sun Tzu said is that he said that um, he's known for his belief that ritual is crucial for reforming humanity's original nature and that human nature lacks an innate moral compass and left to itself falls into uh, contention and disorder, which is why Chun Si characterizes human nature is, is bad and that ritual is thus an integral part of a stable society. So you could argue that the social skills are a set of rules that, that you know reinforce and support a ritual of how we treat each other, you know, and how we think about each other um, in our society. Meng Zhe said that all human beings share an innate goodness that either can be cultivated through education and self-discipline or squandered through neglect and negative influences, but it's never lost altogether. Mm-hmm. So I say that philosophically, whether you look at philosophers from the East or the West, we can see that, you know, if we're talking about human nature, they talk about the need for that social structure, that if we don't have one, then society is worse off for it. And that, you know, with education, it can be cultivated, you know, so we have these rules based on the social skills to help society be more, ideally more cohesive. So that's the theory. You know, I've been, edu- I've been educated for the past 13 years, but only recently it was made clear to me how uh, for my current principal, Nigel, how the horrors of World War II influenced 
individuals like Alec Peterson, Robert Leck, and Kurt Hahn. And these three significant individuals were instrumental to the formation of IB. Um, Kurt Hahn was also involved in Outward Bound, UWC, and the Duke of Edinburgh Award. So I think if we consider the philosophy with real-life experiences and how the IB focuses on student-centered, lifelong learning, as well as developing skills and international-mindedness, then I'd argue that, yeah, you can say that the skill category is about learning how to follow rules and behave and to behave appropriately, because we do live in this society and there are social conventions that we follow for the good of society, which that argument kind of loops back to philosophy because it connects with utilitarianism in that sense. So sometimes the philosophy doesn't always match with the realities of society, but I think in this situation, if you look at the philosophy and you, you look at the, the three significant individuals, then we can see how the two sort of really connect together. And you've got a good synergy there between the two. Yeah. And I, I did a talk with a school last week myself in person. And I always, when I, when I talk to a school, this is a school that's just newly authorized and they just asked me to come in and kind of welcome everybody and, and uh, uh, consider their, their community as a now an IB world school. And I always start with the, the mission. And when you read the, the IB mission, you go back and what you just talked about and specifically about the founders of the IB, but also even in the philosophers you quoted from long ago, um, you can, you can read that in the IB mission. And, and I, what I'm always proud about when I, when I think about IB and its connection uh, to um, the mission is that it is specifically uh, seen in the in the framework they've built for education. It's not just a mission over here on in one section. The Venn diagram, if you will, is greatly overlapping between the mission and the framework of education that we're talking about, including these approaches to learning skills that you and I have been talking about now for several weeks. So I thank you for that context. And you know, as, as you were talking about the uh, Chinese philosophers, I thought, what an amazing TOK. Uh, discussion would be generated by saying, are humans innately good or are they innately evil and <laughs> not good? So uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a deep thinker. So thanks for that. Yeah, I mean, this one, I, I, I had this, sorry, John, I had this discussion with my grade 10 INS students when we did an IDU uh, with language and literature. And, you know, you talk about international mindedness. You know, I was, I was obviously familiar with, with, with you know, Hobbes and, 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 and Locke and Ruff. So and Russell and things like that. And I just thought, is there philosophy, you know, can I, you know, pick philosophers from a different part of the world? Are they saying similar things? Was it said at the same time? Was it said earlier? Was it said before? So that, you know, if you're teaching in the international school and you're thinking about that representation of different individuals, they can sort of see themselves in the resources that you're cultivating for the students. And I think that, you know, the, the need for being internationally minded in the lesson sort of forced me in a way to look for other philosophers rather than just relying on what I would traditionally call my sort of comfort zone of Western philosophers in that sense. And it was, it was really, you know, really cool as an as a educator to realize this. Um, and obviously then to share that with the students and see how the, the international students, particularly those from mainland China, engage with, with the discussion a lot more a lot more passionately, I think, because they could make a, meet a better connection there. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And even if you don't have a lot of international students, you know, those of us in the U.S., especially in my experience in a public school, we may have students of inter different international backgrounds, but they aren't themselves, say, um, uh, expats from a different country. They still mm -hmm. are, are, it's important for them to understand those 
commonalities because one of the things we're trying to do in IB and in education, in my belief, is that we're trying to help students understand that they aren't uh, uh, necessarily so unique from from their peers around the world. And you better appreciate other people when you realize that you all are solving the same issues personally and and professionally. And uh, so hearing those philosophers from different uh, contexts, imagine, you know, someone who's first exposed uh, to Chinese philosophy uh, is able to say, wait, that's that's what my uh, religious leader says, or that's what my parents have already told me and so on. So uh, that's that's, uh, a good reminder. You actually, we talked at the top about something called the Belbin team roles. Uh, I am, are you ready to fill me in? Because I know nothing about it. Oh, most definitely, John. If we accept, therefore, that the, the social skills are an integral part to uh, the student's learning experience, then it's how do we effectively teach social skills to, to students? One model I say is the best for setting the foundation for successful collaboration. And I think this works really uh, from secondary school um, onwards. I think perhaps in the PYP, in the EYE, giving students uh, specific roles that they take on as part of the group sort of scaffolds them in that way. But I wouldn't introduce Belvin team roles into the PYP. I think it's just a little bit too complicated for them, perhaps. All right. But if PYP teachers are listening to me and say, you know what, I want to give this a go, then you know, feel free to be my guest and, you know, if it works, then that's great, share that. But effectively, Belgian team roles, there's, there's nine specific roles and they're grouped into the, um, the social roles, the thinking roles and the action or task roles. So the social roles are the resource investigator, the team worker and the coordinator. The thinking roles are the plant monetary evaluator and specialist. And the action or task roles are the shaper, implementer, and completer finisher. My former school did this with uh, the, the teaching staff. Um, so for me, I believe I got um, plant. That means I can give a whole load of ideas and lots of ideas. Some will be good, some will be terrible, but in there, there'll be a great idea that can be nurtured. Um, I'm a shaper. According to the diagram, I apparently I cracked the whip and also I'm a good resource investigator. So I, I got good research skills there to sort of find uh, different ways of, of, of doing things in that sense. So you're saying a particular individual in the group will have multiple roles in the group? Yes, because when you do the, um, the survey, which you do have to pay to do the survey, you sort of it gives you a set of questions and then you kind of put in a number and then it will sort of tell you what is your top three um, roles in that sense. Got it. When I did this with my students, um, you know, I put them into groups and I reminded them to make sure that they had a balance of the different roles in the group. If you're giving a task and you've got nine plants or you've got like say four plants in your group, you're gonna have lots of ideas, but nothing to show for it. If you've got, you know, a, a complete finisher by themselves, they won't be able to start anything in that sense because they don't have enough, they don't have any plans to generate any ideas for them to, com- to complete. And these are the ones that will be the, you know, the meticulous, you know, make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and everything is submitted as per the task instructions um, type thing. So when when I did this with my, my M3 students, um, I allowed them to delegate the roles to themselves you know, once I shared what Belbin was about, once they'd done the, the survey as well, 
um, I allow them to delegate their roles as they have an understanding of the allowable strengths and the allowable weaknesses of the roles. I think the website link that I've shared has got some images about what are the allowable strengths and the allowable weaknesses. So that's basically saying, as an example, if you have a plant, the allowable strength is that they will have a lot, a lot of ideas. Okay, they can be quite creative. But the allowable weakness of that of having a plant in your team is that they might not have the best attention to detail. Got it. Okay, so you kind of have a better understanding of the individuals um, in your in your group. Let me interrupt for just a second. I'm just thinking of, in terms of our listeners and what they're able to keep track of. Both of us have the benefit, and me in particular, since I'm not familiar with this model or it wasn't. I'm going to take the, these nine roles and the different uh, three clusters or groups. Uh, I'm going to put them in the podcast notes. So if you're listening right now and you want to kind of keep track of everything John's talking about, uh, take a look at the notes while this is playing, if you can, and uh, and then you'll have them in front of you so you can kind of follow along because that's exactly what I'm doing right now. So, uh, yeah, sorry for the interruption there, John. Go ahead. Not always good to clarify. So once put them into the groups, they've delegated who's going to do which task. You know, you could do it differently. You could delegate as well, maybe the first time around and then let them choose later. But I wanted to test to see, you know, what was the learning experience going to be? They've got the awareness. Now, how will they apply it when given the opportunity to apply? Will they refer back to the roles or will they revert to type and just delegate without real thought amongst the group? One group didn't complete the work. And usually in those situations, there is finger pointing, there's blaming one individual in the group for either not doing it or one person in the group will say, I've done everything, you've done nothing. Um, you know, if it it's wasn't for me, we'd have nothing to show for the teacher and all the rest of it and stuff like that. And Or, you know, you've got one that will doesn't trust the rest of the group members, so does all the work themselves. Um, and then just on the day says, okay, you say this bit, you say this bit, and you say this yep. bit. And then the group participants are just basically, you know, very reactive to the situations and they're not proactive and they haven't had a, their own agency and voice in it because that the nature of how that person decided to collaborate is, you know, I know best and I will do everything and you just, you know, follow my instructions and you read or you present how I say it. So generally those are the sort of the dynamics that you can see you know, when you work, when I've been working in groups. But on this occasion, this time it was, it was it was different. And before I could say anything to the group, one student from the back of the class called out and said, well, who did you give the job of checking the work and sending it to? You know, did you give it to the complete finisher? And already I could, I could sense that something different was happening in terms of the, the discussion and the understanding and, and, you know, effectively how we're communicating, how we're working with each other, you know, in terms of language that we're using. Then the group checked to see, based on the survey, what role the student was best suited for. And it turns out they'd given the job of, you know, checking the work and sending it to the plant in the group, which, as I've said before, is the last person you really want to be giving that sort of role to. And the rest of the class, you just have this like collective like sigh of realizing the mistake. The, the discussion within the small group was apologetic to that other student saying, you know, we're really sorry, we gave you the wrong role. You couldn't succeed in the task because we hadn't allocated the role that was best for you. We should have done this and we should have done that. So in terms of the reflection of that learning experience, because of the knowledge of the Belgium team roles, it really just flipped the whole conversation that we normally have when we're talking about, you know, developing those social skills. 
you know, I, I think that's why I said I think Belvin is such a fantastic, fantastic uh, model for uh, setting the foundation uh, for successful collaboration. You know, if you've got student council, they should all go through Belvin. You know, if you've got big school projects coming up, like um, Model United Nations or events like prom or Carnival Day or things like that, and you've got a student committee and a student team, those are the times when you can really spend, before you tell them to do anything else, just relook and revisit the roles of Belvin and see which one best suits them so that moving forward you have less conflict and, and better understanding within the group. Admittedly, Belvin can be time consuming. You know, if you do, you know, pay for it and do it in the first weeks to get the survey form, um, you only need to do it once. And then you share those results with the rest of the faculty so that everyone who teaches the, each grade level knows exactly the sort of the portfolio and the profile rather of the students. Also, what I'd say is that it doesn't mean just because in your, you're in M3 that you are forever labeled a shaper or you're forever labeled a plant. Um, because we know that as we get older, we change our environment, we change with that and things like that. So we can, we can acquire skills and, and knowledge. So it is quite possible for someone who is a plant to get better at being a completed finisher. But the beauty that you have as part of that process is if you know that you have a, a weakness in a certain team role, okay, you can then go ask that individual who is a completed finisher for their tips and their tricks of what is it that they do, what processes do they follow to make sure that they are really good at that job. So that if you're then going to be courageous of taking the risk and say, you know what, next time I do group work, I want to be the completed finisher. And as part of the process, I'm going to speak to so-and-so in my class because they are a completed finisher. And I'm going to listen to them when they take notes. And I'm going to then try and apply that and do better at that specific role because I want to try this specific role. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you know, Belvin team roles, not, it's not just about helping students to understand what sort of roles they are um, that, they're, that they're strong at, that they're good at. It also provides a pathway for them to be courageous to take those risks and take on different roles that they would normally sort of shy away from. And again, that's linking back to how the learner profile attributes here can, you know, play a really significant part in the development of the social skills. Right. You can see there's quite a few uh, connections between the specific student, uh, the learner profile attributes and and these roles you've just defined in the Belbin. Uh, let me ask a logistical question, because I think listeners are going to be a little uh, scared away, maybe by the fact that this is a, a pay for uh, play operation. Is it a subscription? Is, you know, is it give us a ballpark of how much it costs to do this? Um, if you're looking for an individual one, you're talking about um, 42 pounds. I'm not sure how that is in USD. Um, if you're talking between um, 100 and 199 individuals, then that's going to be 30 pounds. Um, and more than 200, um, you need to then speak with the with the company. However, said that, um, in the link that I've that I've that we're going to share as part of this podcast, um, what you will see is that it has the nine roles and it has the strengths. It has the allowable weaknesses um, and, you know, an extra factor of a surprise type thing. So one way that you could do this, um, and we've done that, I've done that way as well, is, you know, you can print off these these nine roles um, and then you could get the students to sort of rank them in order of how um, well they think they can do certain things. So they're sort of already reflecting on their specific roles um, within the team. 
Um, and generally, I, I find that when students do sort of reflect on their own um, abilities or proficiencies, then they can be quite intuitive. They've got that good level of, of, of self-awareness to be able to, you know, be open and honest with where they feel that they're at. That is another way in which you can have that, you know, that discussion without needing to do the survey as part of the activity that you can have with the students. And again, then, then you're linking that into, you know, reflecting, and that's bringing another skill, it's bringing another learner profile attribute as well, and that changes the process um, as well in that sense. Yeah, and, that, and, and once the students have gone through it once, I would assume that they would better understand the process and the questions, and they might even, you know, be able to self-identify an evolution in their skill set and their roles uh, that they could play effectively as they get older. So um, I think that, you know, uh, these things always kind of scare people a little bit when there's a, a fee involved, but many times it's, you know, it, it ends up being one time because you're, you're really just trying to establish something up front. And, you know, it's amazing how uh, schools can find funds to do important work if, if it's, uh, if it's worthwhile. So uh, yeah, thanks for, for sharing that, that uh, model for, to us. Uh, I learned a lot about it. And like I said to listeners, uh, their links are, going to be in the podcast notes as well as I'm going to just put those roles directly, list them in the uh, podcast notes so you can look at them quickly without going on on a separate uh, browser. Um, anything else, John, about um, the social skills that you'd like to talk about before we uh, uh, close it up for today? Uh, I think we, we've covered quite a bit today, John. We've gone through you know the impact that and, and thinking about uh, the impact that COVID-19 has had on the ability for students to develop social skills and how uh, as educators, we can maybe put that focus back into it at the right grade levels. Um, we've sort of discussed how we can use media and what's going on outside of the school to make those connections, connecting with learner profile attributes. Um, and then, you know, talked a bit about the philosophy and the practicality of the history of the IB and how that sort of reinforces the need for the development of social skills. And as I said, Belbin is like such a wonderful, wonderful model. I think, you know, it's it's a really cool uh, model for students and, and schools to play around with. Yeah, I appreciate that. And you're introducing us to those things. Um, yeah, well, thanks, John, for um, for being with us again today and for, as always, your insight and depth of understanding of these topics. Uh, next week, we wrap up the um, the skill categories uh, with uh, self-management skills. And then after that, we have one more episode we're planning, which is called uh, tentatively called What is Missing? So think ahead if you have some questions about, about that. Or, and part of the What is Missing is going to be looking at some different approaches to approaches to learning and and so if you um have some thoughts on those things or like to share them uh make sure you go to that uh, link in our podcast notes uh to a google form which asks or allows you to ask us a question directly and you can certainly use that same space to make comments uh, about uh, things that you think uh, could be improved or are missing or ways in which you've approached the approaches to learning that maybe uh, have a different twist than what we've been talking about. So thanks again, John, for being here. And we'll see you all again next week with self-management skills. Thank you, John. See you next week. You can learn much more about ATLs and other aspects of the IB Pre-K to 12 Continuum of Education using links in our podcast notes, as well as on the IB website at ibo.org. Now that we have over 90 IBA Matters episodes covering a range of subjects, you can use our podcast webpage, which is organized by program and by topic. The link to the website is also in our podcast notes. Please find all of our episodes wherever you get your podcasts and click subscribe so you don't miss any future programs. Join our over 3,500 followers on Twitter 
at MattersIB. Also, help us spread the word about IB by liking, sharing, and reviewing the IB Matters links in your own feeds and social networks. In our time on the air, we've been heard in over 150 countries, a testament to the global reach of the IB.